I never made films that were films that other people wanted to. I made films that I grew up on and I made films that I thought I wanted people to see. We are advancing access to sustainably grown food with farms that are solar powered. I was very frustrated. There was nothing available to cover my baby. There gotta be another way. I'm Richard Gerhardt. I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. You just heard a few snippets from our amazing program, so stay tuned for the whole thing. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, everybody. The road to entrepreneurship where we talk with entrepreneurs, innovators, and discuss the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have with us Michael Sorenzi, founder of Strata Gem Group and a Hollywood film producer. And then we have two amazing presenters. First, Rob Imbo with Adapt Agritech, a new way to grow food. Talk about the future and innovation. You have to stay tuned and hear this. And then we have Samaya Uzlati and Hilda Bergman, young moms who have found a solution to taking your kid out in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> what responsible mother does that? Well, I guess we'll find out, won't we? Well, but before we get to our distinguished guests, it's time for IP in the news. So what if you went to give your kid nerds ropes, but they were laced with THC legally, I guess, and you didn't know it? So what is a nerd rope anyway? It's a candy that kids love. Oh, okay. You mean like nerd the candies that you Nerds see? Nerds the candies. And your Nerd. point is that the point they is... would be laced with marijuana. Right. So a company called Top 5 Wholesale makes THC laced candies and they're using trademarks identical to Ferrara Candy Company, which makes nerds and trolley candies. And they think it'll cause consumer confusion. Well, I do think this. I want... <laughs> well, I guess if you get high, you're going to be pretty confused, aren't you? <laughs> I went on Top 5's website right. to look at their candy and it is identical. The wrappers like are the same. Everything's exactly the same. It's and amazing. they have some language on there that means something to people who know what THC stuff is, but I don't. So like if I went on there as a young mom, I would just think, oh, maybe this is a good place to get candies. I wouldn't know the difference, really. I'm trying to figure out why they would steal another company's branding to put their pot in. I have no idea, but luckily we have very strong trademark laws in the United States. Yeah, but I'm just thinking maybe if for adolescents who want to walk around with pot in their pocket and if they get pulled over or something, then they can just say it's regular candy. Oh, well, they're selling it in Florida and the sale of recreational marijuana is illegal in Florida. There you so go. that's probably why. But they're using the trademark system now. Ferrara Candy Company is using our trademark system to try to make this stop. It sounds like this is more for the Justice Department or like some big government agency, but I'm glad they're on it with the trademark stuff because, I mean, that really is very misleading. Not only is it potentially bad because if you're taking marijuana for some reason and you're in a situation where you shouldn't, that's bad, but also they're capitalizing off of the nerd's brand, which is famous. So it's a well, double I think whammy. they're trying bad. to draw kids in like the cigarette makers did years ago, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we need to see what our guests think about this. Time for Richard's <laughs> Roundtable. Michael, 
What do you have to say about this? Well, I think it's dangerous and a little scary. To your point, though, there's a relative example in the film business that's identical, except we don't lace it with drugs. <laughs> Bollywood literally takes titles of Hollywood every day, uh -huh. remakes the movie in their own way and right. calls it the same thing. So from an infringement standpoint, from an intellectual property standpoint, what you're saying, they're grabbing the marketing position of it and they're allowing them to, you know, run up a profit position on your talent. So the same way you look at candy, mm -hmm. I look at IP from the film business. So the difference in this is the danger in ours is it's box office revenues that you're not gonna receive from your IP. This could be a dangerous, you know, aspect of someone overdosing or a child being in harm's way, you know, which is much more serious. Yeah, it's so hard to enforce stuff in India. I yeah. mean, by the time you would actually get it in court, it's just like it takes years. And by that time, the movie is long gone, right? And if they do a bad version of it, then it's kind of like in India with how many millions, billions of people, everybody thinks that you made a crummy movie. So there's no control over no. the quality. It no, just zero. kills you. Yeah. yeah, copycats are really not very nice people. No, they're, <laughs> no. they're, they're copycats. They're ripper-offers. Well, that's a very interesting perspective, Michael. I appreciate that. Rob, what are your thoughts? They're the same in respect to children. I, I literally, it just hits home because I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And I literally just heard nerds last week. And the nerds in the fun dip right? The stuff that I grew up with. So I can see it in your little candy bowl. So that, you know, scares me a little. I think as an adult, I like to treat myself to candy. I have those, some of those sweet tarts. Maybe I would like some nerds. Um, what I wouldn't like is being high while I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> like cannabis for me is I'm really, really boring. It's like a sleep aid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my back hurts. I'll take a THC like, and, and I'll go to sleep. I'm really boring that way. And third, they're likely doing this for a lot of reasons, but cannabis products don't really taste very good. So the greedy capitalist side of me siding with the initial product makers saying you're using our packaging and you're putting this stuff in my mouth and it tastes like garbage. I'm not going to go back right. to this stuff, right? This is not how I remember. Well, that's a good point. That's a really right? good point. What if the shipments get mixed up and a truckload of this goes <laughs> to Costco and the other yeah. truckload goes to wherever, but you end up buying Twizzlers or something and it's laced mm. with marijuana. Could you imagine being a teacher <laughs> in your whole class? <laughs> Here, everyone, you get a Twizzler for that correct answer. Charming. Um, okay. So, Samaya, what are your thoughts? The same as you guys talking about, you know, it's very scary. I have a child myself and he's older than yours. He's 12, so they're very curious. And that's something that I could see happen actually in school where mm -hmm. the kids might buy it and then go, oh, have you heard about, you know what I mean? So it's a very dangerous thing to do. We need to hear from Hilda now. Well, I think it's so immoral and wrong in every way to make a drug look like a candy. And that would also, you know, make the kids indulge more. It's more fun to eat something that looks like candy versus if it looks like a drug, then maybe you won't eat two pieces of it. And I also have kids who are the same age as Somaya and it's scary because they are curious and they want to try. And if something looks fun, why not? And it could end up very bad. So wrong yeah. in every yeah. way. I have to admit there have been times when I've like, devoured half a bag of candy right, right? you know right. and and, you and you know, i would eat so much of it i wouldn't even know how much i would have had so yeah this is crazy it shouldn't be a civil lawsuit they should be arrested and put in yeah. jail right yeah. they should be yeah kenya yeah i mean i agree with everyone here i think also too from being able to like 
conceal things. You think about kids and how they bring things to school and like drugs being in mm. school. Like this is a very easy way for kids to be able to bring stuff. It just slides under the radar because it has the marketing and the branding of nerds. So it's interesting that they are going this direction. I also agree with Michael. It's a huge play on the nerds marketing. I mean, think of all the years and the millions and millions of dollars that that brand has spent on, mm. you know, positioning itself in the market in terms of brand recognition you see it, you know, it's nerds. I mean, sometimes you don't even need to read the box. You see the colors and you're right. immediately visually, you know what it is. So it's crazy that people would try to leverage, but not unheard of. Right. And these are the times mm -hmm. that we're in. I hope the courts deal with this. There's other manufacturers that are doing the same thing with different kinds of candies. But this is a dangerous steal, you know, yeah. like Michael was saying. Anyway, on that happy note, <laughs> We're going to go <laughs> on with the show, okay? We have with us Michael Sorenzi, and I want to get this introduction right because he has done so much, and it's really an honor to have him on. Michael is the founder of the Stratagem Group, and he has collaborated with filmmakers Jim Sheridan, Robert Altman, and Sidney Lumet, as well as famous actors Philip Seymour Hoffman, James Franco, Matt Dillon, Albert Finney, and the list, I mean, it just goes on and on Marissa and on. Marissa Tomei. I know, but I never pronounce her name right. And then <laughs> he produced Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, directed by the legendary Academy Award-winning filmmaker, Sydney Lumet, and the film garnered Michael a prestigious AFI award, and Time Magazine named it number three on their top 10 list of films when it was released. Welcome to the show, Michael. So what got you going in the film business, I guess, is my first question. Actually, I originally was born in Canada. I moved to New York to study at Juilliard and with William Esper in 1991. So I started as an actor. But the first year there, I started interning at a theater company off-Broadway called the Ensemble Studio Theater, which is at 52nd. And I ended up becoming the associate producer of that theater company the first year. And then the second year, I won an Obie Award in the 92-93 wow. season for the Marathon of One Act Plays. But I couldn't accept it because I was illegal at the time. So I didn't have a permit to work in the U.S. So it was a very quick transition, though, from, I'll say, acting and playwriting into producing. And from there, uh, that took me to Hollywood. And I started working with HBO, creating TV series and documentaries for HBO. That's that great. So what wow. does a producer do? I've always been unclear about that. There's many different kinds of producers. The type of producer I was, I am, is I'm a creative producer. So I literally will take an original thought and have it adapted into a screenplay. Or I will take a 19th century short story and adapt it into a screenplay or an article from Vanity Fair and adapt it into a screenplay or just have an original screenplay created. So it's a creative process of vision and idea that ends up being very collaborative, bringing on usually a writer because I don't write the screenplay myself. I develop story. And then between the screenwriter and the filmmaker, you're creating the narrative vision, which then becomes a screenplay, which you end up having a filmmaker direct. So my process is very long in a sense, because the creative process of finding an idea that you want to live with, that shares a certain part of humanity that you think you want to shed light on, that actually people would actually go to the movie theaters in the time or now watch on Netflix or Amazon and develop that, create that, attach all the elements creatively 
meaning the actors, the physical production, financing it, so monetizing it, and then producing it, and then distributing. I kind of do the whole thing, which is kind of rare. Usually people do a piece of that, but I wanted to be able to learn all aspects of that. Right. So I wanted to talk about that because Mm -hmm. Stratagem Group, I went on your website, which is Stratagem Mm -hmm. Group. Dot CA. Mm-hmm. And there's a tab there where you have like four different specialties, but you train people, you get financing, you, you even help people find tax breaks. I, I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's like a white glove thing almost. I was just really surprised. I've never seen something like that before. What we really do is we make it so when an American production comes north of the border, there's not even a speed bump. So creatively, we want them to have the same experience if they shot in Los Angeles, they shot in Manhattan, they shot in Atlanta, where I got my my experience. So we created the group of verticals that actually do that, hopefully somewhat seamlessly. Wow. I mean, that is a turnkey operation, really. Now you're and... quoting me. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is a turnkey operation. It actually, we have the only turnkey operation in Canada that does that. Well, this is really interesting, Michael. We have to take a commercial break, but we'll be back with more Michael Sorenzi, founder of Stratagem, and more Passage to Profit right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We have with us Michael Sorenzi, founder of Stratagem Group and a Hollywood film producer. Michael, if there's a young producer out there looking to make his or her way in the world of film, what kind of advice would you give to them. Clear vision. You have to have clear vision of what you want to do. I think that the quality that made me is tenacity. You have to have an enormous amount of tenacity and focus, and you have to have the ability to endure and succeed in failure. And that's going to sound a little counterintuitive to some people, but for me, to truly attempt things and to fail into them and to move through them is where you're going to find your truest self and your truest success. So I think that most people are afraid of that, right? Young people today are faced with social media and the whole aspect of being monitored and judged, sometimes in a good way, sometimes not such a good way. And I think that reflective piece on themselves is tougher for them to go through that process that I'm talking about. My road was very long from Sault Ste. Marie to Toronto to New York to LA. So my first movie was a $10 million movie with Martin Scorsese executive producing for MGM, which sounds amazing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But it took 17 years. 17 years to do that. I call it the analog version, right? Yeah. You know, but it was the ability to endure and to keep faith, you know, for someone to keep faith in the ideals that he or she 
believe in. And I think that that's the most integral part of someone's vision. Well, just to your point about social media, though, with social media now, failure is so much more public than it was (laughs) when I was growing up, which was a long time ago before computers even. But if I failed, which I did frequently, at least I Mm -hmm. sort of failed privately. And now everybody puts everything out there all the time. I don't know whether that makes people more comfortable with screwing up, but it certainly raises the stakes. And maybe people's attitudes now are changing about it because if everybody sees everybody else failing, then it's okay to fail. Still, I think a large number of people would not appreciate just having the world staring at them as something goes wrong. So it's definitely a different environment. My favorite poem is called My Defeat by Khalil Gibran, which is the relationship between you and your innermost failings, but it's a love affair, right? Because it's personal and you journey together through that. And I believe that the difficulty of young people today is the ideas that are being forced upon them with social media, I think are false for most of the sense. I think people have to take more time and seclude themselves. And I don't mean like in a private meditation, but in a sense of private meditation of saying, this is what I want to do. This is my story. This is not the story that someone else has given me. This is my story. This is my narrative. We were talking actually, the group of us on the phone online and everyone's in New York. Everyone used to be in New York. And I was talking about how I miss New York. I went to New York to test my mettle, right? So I went to New York to compete And I wanted to know how I measured up to all these other remarkable individuals because no one is really from New York, right? It's it's almost like people come there to excel Mm -hmm. in music or in finance or in law or in entertainment or in, you know, in whatever they do. And I think if you took a cross section of all the people that are on this call and all the people that you meet in Manhattan that are trying to succeed, there's a thread that runs through them, which is they believe that they should be there. They believe that they have a right to be heard. They have a voice that they want to be spoken and understood. And I think that's the most important thing that that young entrepreneur, that young filmmaker has to hold on to. Kenya? I was just going to say, that's awesome how that cross-cultural pollination kind of happens sometimes. I was just thinking about the profitability of film. And even the recent Top Gun remake that I feel like amassed over like $200 million or something crazy. And I saw that Tom Cruise is actually getting residuals on that even after he took part in it. And I wanted you to speak a little bit more about some of those unknown opportunities for profit in the film industry that are sometimes maybe overlooked by creatives. One, I think Top Gun's a great movie. It's a great sequel. It brought back a box office for the first time in two years, two and a half years. It's amazing because I saw the first one when it came out, which was, I think, 88 or something or 89, whatever it was, for him to star in it <laughs> 35 years later, you know, and, and, and he still looks good. Good for he looks Tom. Great. Um, he looks great, you know. Um, true movie star, like true movie star. Um, It's a good question, though. So in independent film, it's the most live income, like benefit, ancillary benefit you would have in the gross participation in independent film because the way it's structured in the financial modeling of it, right? So when you sell it, you'll get residuals on the sale and, and you'll get remunerated over five, seven year cycles is the licensing period. If you do a studio movie, like say Warner Brothers, a traditional studio film with Warners or Disney, you would be in this net adjusted gross that means you basically you'll never see it unless you are Tom Cruise and you're driving the box office of the feature, right? In the new model, which is the Netflix model, there's no residuals. So when an actor or writer or director or producer does a film, they get paid to show up and do their role, for instance, and there's no residual. 
So that could still be beneficial for the producer because the producer can say, make a movie for $5 million and sell it for $12 million, say to a streaming company. So they can make a large profit position. So unfortunately we have to wrap up this segment. Michael, you've been fantastic and a wealth mm -hmm. of information. I've really enjoyed listening to all the ins and outs of film production and I've learned a lot and we have to take a commercial break, but we'll be right back with more Passage to Profit after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you wanna know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Special guest, Michael Sorenzi. And we just heard a really fascinating breakdown of the film production process. If you didn't get a chance to hear his interview, you have to catch it. Our podcast will be available tomorrow and you can get it wherever you get your podcast. So please check it out now. It's time for Power Move, Kenya. So for Power Move, we're going to talk about Mark Cuban, who recently launched his own little war against Big Pharma. He started an online pharmacy where over 100 life-saving medications are going to be offered at low cost. So he charges a standard of 15% markup in an industry that typically sees no less than 100% markup. And in just one example, he has a life-saving leukemia drug with a typical retail price of $9,657, and he's offering it for $47. So he doesn't accept insurance wow. due to the fact that it would force him to work with manufacturers requiring certain price points to be met. So he's helping do the greater good and making medication affordable for people who may not be able to get it otherwise. That's great. Did he pitch it on Shark Tank? <laughs> I don't think he did. I think he just did it on his own. That's amazing. I didn't know that you could actually do something like that, but I do think other countries pay less for their medications than we do in the U.S. Good for him. Thank so, you, Mark. Elizabeth, time for Fireside. <laughs> Give us an update. Yes, yeah, so I talk about Fireside Directory every show. Fireside Directory is an online video directory of small businesses. I've been interviewing business owners and I've been struggling to get my website, find the right person for my website, et cetera. And I thought I found the right person. Then I'm in this peer advisory group and they were like, well, you don't really know what you're doing. So think about your website some more. I'm like, but I did a wireframe. I outlined it in slides. I mean, I don't even know how it could be more clear. So anyway, the guy I'm working with on the website is super good and super smart and he understands. It's been a struggle partly because this is a directory site and a lot of website makers want to start with the brand, which I did not need. Can you remind everybody what Fireside is all about? I did. I said it's an online video directory of small businesses. Oh, you missed that. All right. That was, so if that you, was good. So, so for instance, <laughs> if you were trying to find somebody to help you develop your film, 
you could go to this directory and you'd see like a very short video of Michael and you might see two or three other people with short videos and you could say, wow, that Michael guy seems really cool. I think he'd be someone I'd want to work with. And then you could watch a longer video of him and kind of get to know him a little bit. He won't even know who you are because you can go onto the site anonymously. So there's a lot of things built into my site and it's also a YouTube channel. And then eventually I do want to take it into the metaverse, but that's down the road. You've got big plans. Well, somebody has to. <laughs> okay, so moving on, I want to introduce our presenter, Rob Imbo with Adapt Agritech. Rob, tell us all about what you're doing. We are advancing access to sustainably grown food. We're doing so with uh, mushroom-focused shipping container farms that are solar-powered. We are looking to open in every major city in North America right now. I founded my own software mm-hmm. shop doing B2B stuff in 2003. Out of that, made an acquisition. It was an aqua hire with a partner of mine, and we founded another company called Ascent Compliance. And that went to Unicorn. It actually did really, really well. And that was helping companies comply with environmental and social regulations. So it was making the world a better place at the same time. I uh, retired in 2017 because uh, startup life and uh, having a six-month-old is not conducive to being a good parent, I I found. So yeah, I retired and uh, we traveled Southeastern Asia for a year and I couldn't sit still. So I wrote a memoir. My daughters are school age now. So last fall, I was looking to angel and invest. I played some advisory roles in small startups and came across this mushroom wellness company, not psychedelic, but medicinal, like functional mushrooms. And I met the founders and they were great. We did explore adding an arm of psychedelics. So we went to Miami and went to Bahamas. We did not like what we saw just because there's just so much regulatory red tape. And on the way back from Bahamas in the cab ride, actually. We told the driver about it and he said, man, don't grow psychedelic mushrooms. Just go regular mushrooms, grow food. You know, this past decade, the new vertical farming has built up in Bahamas and they have access to fresh, sustainably grown organic foods that before they'd have to have it shipped in. And that was kind of our aha moment. So fast forward now, we've designed and manufactured our own vessels and we removed a lot of the complexity. And it's going to sound strange, but we believe we're at this iPhone moment, right? Where we're leveraging as much technology as we can to make it as easy as possible for the grower. So you have a shipping container. It's like we have one downtown Toronto. We have one downtown Ottawa and uh, Austin. And all the operator has to do is go in, harvest, keep it clean, and then focus on, on sales. And they can walk it over to grocery stores, walk it over to restaurants, and it can be consistent. It could be organic. Also, the fact that mushrooms don't need light. So it made the ability for them to be solar powered, literally just block them off in a downtown core and we can grow them or a suburban center or even a farm now, like all the farmers, they can just add a skew, right? So they can actually just plop on a container and plug and play into their own network. So that's where we are right now. We're looking at opening, like I said, uh, a thousand locations uh, over the next two or three years and very excited about it. So I have one question. Why mushrooms? It's our wheelhouse. And I think we we knew a lot. We have mycologists on staff. We have a chef on staff. And we know how to grow them very well. And we think that it's going to be the litmus test for future innovation. We internally joke and say that this is the road to strawberries. Uh, we we <laughs> want to be able to uh, grow uh, hyper nutritious food and, and have them grow all over the world. The other thing, the other innovation is we're looking 
looking at water harvesting technology where harvests the water out of the air and you can get it down to the water molecules themselves being stuck out of the air. So it's 100% pure, nothing else is getting uh, absorbed. And this is pure FDA food grade water, right? It's just filtered water. And we're working with a couple of companies, one of which has their prototype in the Smithsonian and they have it working in the Mojave Desert, right? Because the first answer is just like, well, what climate is this going to work with? Well, if we can set up uh, one of our containers and with the addition of the water harvesting at every school in Cameroon or South Sudan or Tanzania, right? We can feed people. We can bring water to people. That um, sounds great. So Kenya, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm very fascinated because I just feel like we are going into an age of self-sustainability, especially when it comes to like food. I mean, you see all the shortages that are going on. I mean, it's, it, we're, it, it's a pretty scary place right now. I think people feel a little uncertain. And I love that you're mm -hmm. setting like a model in place for opportunities to grow other food. And the water thing is phenomenal because I feel like water is, and it's going to become one of the biggest commodities. Where do you view where things are going in the food growing business right now? Like in terms of just how food is getting accessed and like, where do you see that kind of evolving to in terms of like accessibility? I think there's room for many winners. We're all on the same team. You know, we don't think of competitors. We think of colleagues. I think they're massive vertical farm. Like there's one in uh, Aero Farms in, in New Jersey, which is like 2 million square feet and putting out millions of pounds. I, I think that's one solution. We have the hyper small local solution. So I think just given global events, pandemics and wars affecting the supply chain, I think it is going in the direction of vertical farming. I think we really want to be a part of making that move. And this is the time to do it. Michael, do you have any comments? I think it's brilliant. I think what you're doing is absolutely needed. And I love your remark about mushrooms to strawberries because, you know, your success in your other company, I think, you know, understanding also the product line, right? The chain works into some of your strategy when you're looking at the water side of this. And I just think it's brilliant what you're doing. I don't know a whole lot about vertical farming, but I'm just kind of curious, like one thing that is missing in a lot of our food today are the minerals and vitamins, because mm -hmm. what they're grown in is not rich with those things that our bodies need. So mm. what do you use? as the substrate for growing? So it could be any number of substrates. Right now, our substrates are all from Canada. We are vertically integrated. We do everything ourselves and manufacturing couldn't keep up. <laughs> uh, so we founded our own manufacturing facility as well so out of Vancouver. What does the vertically integrated mean? We own our own supply chain. So on the mushroom focus side, we have harvesters that literally go and harvest sustainably out of Canadian boreal forests to get our mushrooms for the mushroom wellness side. And for the building manufacturing our containers, we're doing that ourselves now as well. With respect to the substrate grow blocks, we're working with a company here and we're partnering with them now. So that's what I meant by vertically integrated on that side. Vertical farming is, yeah, instead of using a ton of land, the easiest way to explain it is instead of land, they're just on shelves. Right. <laughs> and some of these facilities are 50 to 60 feet high. And they're only now discovering that they're different climate regions, right? Every 12 to 15 feet is a new climate. So yeah, like I think vertical farming is in adolescence, I think, because there's been, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars put into it. But I think there's a, a long way to go. But I think that's exciting at the same time. Could you ever take this and grow rice with it? Because one of the problems with rice <laughs> that you probably know is it's full of arsenic because 
because it's grown in water, it uptakes heavy metals better than almost any crop. And then mm. we feed it to our babies. And so can you do this with rice? Is it even possible? We can. We can grow it. It's not cost effective to do so, but we're working on it. Like my partner with the manufacturing facility is a, a savant and he really wants to nail rice and then nail strawberries. Uh, strawberries is power intensive. So it's going to be really difficult for, for the power side, but we, we think we actually have a, a next version for the rice, but we, yeah, we, we can, we are entrepreneurs at heart as well. And mushrooms are the most profitably dense, mm -hmm. right? So, especially when you come into gourmet mushrooms, so we can literally sell these gourmet mushrooms across the street at a very, you know, a five-star Michelin rated, or I guess it's my three-star Michelin rated restaurant. And then that will afford us uh, the R and D's to start developing less profitably dense, but more nutritious and more accessible. You know, it can really fund the other side. It could fund us going to Cameroon and in Tanzania. We have boots on the ground there. That's why I keep going to those examples, but we do well as we do good. And also each one of these units we're going to own, we're not going to sell. And the entrepreneurs we're going to invest in. So the operators in either New York, we actually have one in, in New York that wants to service Atlantic City and New York and Philadelphia. They're entrepreneurs and they have a little bit of a background, but they don't really need it because we can actually help train them and they can focus on the relationship they can focus on on what little they have to and we we take on all the complexity kenya i actually have a friend who has a mushroom farm up here at the black dirt up in the hudson valley they grow shiitake mushrooms and that's like a money maker for them right so sure. i love that you know you're kind of tapping into that space in terms of like medicinal purposes for mushrooms like i know they have a lot of other different benefits like what are some of the other channels that you may think you might tap into in regards to these crops that you're growing that could serve other purposes. We were able to grow 14 strains of mushrooms in our containers. When we did a national survey of thousands of stores, we found that only three are currently for sale for differing reasons. But one big reason is that some of these mushrooms are very sensitive and will die in transport. And one particular I'm thinking is, is lion's mane. So lion's mane is one of those functional mushrooms, helps memory, helps focus. There's a lot of sciences starting to, to really back that up in humans, because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the early sciences in mice. And it's a very, very popular one. It's selling at like $70 a pound. And to cook it, chefs are loving it. They're eating this, this up, sorry for the pun. It has the consistency and tastes like a crab or a lobster. So you can actually have a lobster taco, but you're actually eating lion's mane, improving your memory and focus. So if people were really interested in this and maybe wanted to start their own as like kind of a franchise from you or something, would they go to adapt.ag or would they go to robimbo.com? Adapt.ag is specifically for this passage to profit the road to entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We will be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs most valuable assets, their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart law to protect your ideas with premier patent trademark and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at gearhartlaw.com at Gearhart law. We have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. 
business. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I am really excited to introduce Samaya Uzlade and Hilda Bergman with Drip and Drop. Each of those words has two Ps, client of Gearhart Law. So Samaya and Hilda, could you please explain to us what your product is and what you're doing with it? So it's a car seat cover for infants. Usually anyone who's a parent knows that the baby comes straight from the hospital in the car seat. And usually they stay in the stroller in the car seat for the about six months. And it covers the car seat from wind. It keeps them warm. Not necessarily rain because it's not waterproof. It's a fleece cover that we made to start with. But it's a protective, keeps the baby warm because, you know, little infants, you know. Yeah. It keeps them warm and cozy and, and also the parent can see them, which is really doesn't exist. That's great. I looked at your website and it has a picture of a woman pushing a stroller and you can see the cover. So how did you come up with the idea? Well, we both are moms. And when I had my baby, I was very frustrated of not finding anything that would actually stay on. Well, they didn't have anything for car seat, period. But like even for the stroller, because we make for car seats and strollers. And it was nothing available to cover my baby except like a blanket. And the blanket will fly away. You can't see the baby. Like, okay, there got to be another way. Like there has to be a better way uh-huh. to be able to see the baby. I came from fashion and music industry for the past 20 something years. And I felt like you should be able to be fabulous too. So we wanted mm-hmm. to do something fun with like fun prints and make people happy when you have the baby. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where the idea came from. And then my best friend and my business partner, Hilda, mm-hmm. we actually grew up together in Sweden, but we did not meet until we didn't know each other. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. We didn't know each other. Um, and we met at the Swedish church in New York city and our kids became really good friends and they still yeah. are. We became good friends. So I, I, I just approached her and I was like, you know what, let's make this happen. So Hilda, yeah. what's your take on this? My take is when I met Somaya, I remember we met in the Swedish church in the play group. And I think I was struggling getting on this bulky, super big cover on my stroller. And she came up to me and we talked instantly about, oh my God, this is not the best thing for us. We should have something more simple. And we were joking, laughing about it. And uh, we connected and we met again and we still talked about other products we loved and disliked and came back to this cover situation, how bulky and hard it is to bring with or not with. And sometimes you forget it home because it's too big to bring with. And she approached me one day and said, you know what, we should do it. We should make it ourselves. Just let's invent this product and do it. And I said, sure. And that's how we started. And it's a fleece cover that goes over the whole car seat, but yeah. in the front where the baby's face would be is plastic. And what is that material? It's see-through material. Is that some sort of plastic? Yep. It is plastic, rainproof. Yeah. It's really ingenious. It's made from a comfy, wonderful fabric. It actually covers the whole car seat, the whole baby, the car seat, the car seat won't get mm. dirty or, it won't, you know, it won't be any air coming into the baby to be cold. Also, what was really important, it was the easy access. The window you can actually open with a Velcro. So it has a Velcro where you can 
reach the baby if the baby is hungry, which they usually yeah, are. <laughs> and you can feed the baby or if you need to take the baby out and change the diaper, whatever. It's just an easy access. Also, what we thought about, because we did grow up in Sweden and as Canada and Sweden, we are very much about the babies and we walk a lot and it has a reflector in the back. So oh, you nice. can see the baby or the car seat in the dark or the stroller. So it's also for safety measures. It's very easy to put on a table off it comes in a little pouch really simple and small very ingenious michael do you have mm. any comments or questions it's one of those inventions in creativity that you know when you see it you think this should always have existed right like it, it, mm-hmm. there's, there, which which i love the simplicity of the brilliance of an idea right because right. everyone gets it like right. you know yeah. and everyone needs it you know what i mean so yeah. great great for both of you yeah that's fantastic yeah. Yeah. yeah kenya what about you what do you think you're a mom Yeah, I mean, both my kids are way past the, you know, carrier (laughs) stage, but I love it because I remember the times I'd like, you know, put my son in the stroller and you cover it with a blanket and you you really Mm -hmm. can't see him when you're walking and you check in. Are you all right in there? So I love the fact that you can see through it. And I love the fact that there's like that sanitary component to it where it's covered. I mean, even everything going on now with COVID, it's like you got to feel, you know, pretty secure as a parent bringing your kid out in public and there's a covering there. And so I love that. Yeah, I remember as a new mom being bored at home a little bit because babies sleep a lot. And so anyway, I wanted to go to the mall. But then how do you get the baby from the car into the mall? And this was in Michigan. Both my babies were born in Michigan. And it's like it's snowing and or it's cold. This would have been perfect. I like, too, that the plastic that you can see through comes all the way off. So you could even just Mm -hmm. lift the baby out with the cover on. And mm. it gives you enough view of the baby that you can see what's going on. So I, I just, this is so ingenious. And, and, and I agree mm. with Michael. It's like, why did it take so long for someone to invent this? How are you so, getting the word out and where are you selling them? Where we literally just finished manufacturing. So we just got <laughs> last week, but we also, we decided to, uh, we are small business women owned. We wanted to support small businesses so we decided to actually manufacture them in a very small factory in Queens, New York. Nice. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very costly, FYI. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was something that we really, really felt strong about. Like we didn't want to go to China and do it. We wanted to start in the US and eventually maybe go to Europe or North Africa or something like that and produce there. What is your marketing plan though? Do you have a strategy for getting these to the public? I think it's really going to be a popular product. Social media is a huge part of the marketing plan. Uh, We have Instagram, we have Facebook, but then also in New York City and outside of the city, we have a lot of independently small baby stores that are willing or interested to actually do sell our products. And I think that's what we're going to start with for now. Before we actually manufacture them, we did get like licensing deal offers because uh, it mm. is a main product. But we did find it because we really wanted to do guerrilla marketing. So this is not an overnight thing. This has taken six years in the making mm. from the idea to the actual product. So for us, it's more important to take the time that it needs to take, I think is going to go very well on its own, to be honest. At this moment, we are just selling at our website, dripanddrop.com. And drip and drop is also Swedish and English. So it's easy to pronounce. Two yeah. peas and drip and two peas and drop, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a little small little Swedish flag on the side in our logo, which is very cute. But, you know, <laughs> we just wanted to go 
on the guerrilla marketing side. I already have amazing people that are supporting us. Somebody already contacted a producer at ABC to try to see if we can get on Good Morning America. And uh, I have friends who have contacts with a lot of people. So we just wanted to finish the product. And I think that my feeling and my gut feeling is that it's going to do very well on its own, that we not necessarily need like a big machine. And like I said, we're not in a rush. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, people can find this at Mm -hmm. dripanddrop.com. That's D-R-I-P-P-A-N-D-D-R-O-P-P. Dot com. So anybody that has a baby, I think would be thrilled to get this. So anybody looking for gifts for new parents? It is for strollers too. So you can get the car seat and then you can get the stroller. The stroller. So the idea of that too was twins or they have two babies in different ages, twin strollers. And usually the cover is huge. Like you can't eat like it's right. So this one, you can actually separately put on the car seat and one on the stroller seat. So you can have two babies or one baby in a twin stroller. It's just small and very cute. Samaya Uzlade and Hilda Bergman with drip and drop. Each of those words has two P's client of Gear Heart Law. I really wanted to thank David Pustolsky, our lawyer. He was just so helpful and so patient and so supportive. Excellent. Well, thank you. Passage to Profit, The Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart as hosts. And our special guest was Michael Sorenzi. If you missed any of the show, our podcast comes out tomorrow. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts, we're everywhere. Go to our YouTube (laughs) channel if you want to see the people that we're speaking and see the product. We will be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W Com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. And now we are to the part of our show where we have a little bit of fun. Right. The rest was not fun. This is, I, the, <laughs> this is now. I, I thought it was all fun, but this is not, not, okay, whatever. Anyway. Um, this is the lighter side of Passage to Profit. Anyway, we want to ask everybody a question. Was there something that happened when you were a kid that you still remember because it was really weird or really fun or funny or something? So, uh, Michael, are you ready for the hot seat? So this is more of a magical, endearing kind of short story. So when we were growing up, we didn't have a lot of uh, money and uh, we couldn't afford to go on vacation. And it was the last weekend, Labor Day weekend before going back to school. And my mother came to me and she said, you know, where do you want to where would you want to go? And I said, Paris. France. And um, we lived in Northern Ontario. And so I went to bed that night uh, to wake up the next morning. I was about six years old. And my mother had stayed up all night and made like a little French sailor outfit 
with Aww. a beret Aww. and a note. And when I came downstairs, she had made pain chocolat, so like a chocolate croissant. Aww. And instead of cafe au lait, it was hot chocolate. <laughs> and she had set up these easels in our front living room that were facing a painting of the Seine. And the, the, the Champs-Élysées and the Arc de Triomphe, right? So we painted the French scenery and then we went mm. on the sidewalk. Instead of doing a Kool-Aid stand, we sold our paintings to the tourists that were visiting, you know, France at the time. Mm. And at the end of the day, we made money and we went to a French restaurant and had dinner. And the irony of it is a few days later, I went back to school and the teacher asked, you know, what did you do for your summer vacation? And I, of course, I put up my hand and said I went to Paris. And she called my mother because she thought there was, you know, too imaginative of a young man. And my mother came to school and she said, you know, we're just worried about Michael because he's thinking he went to Paris over the weekend. And my mother looked at this woman, this teacher, named Madame Diamantini, and said, if my son said he went to Paris this weekend, he went to Paris. And that was the magical way that my mother taught me to imagine kind of the life that I wanted to lead. Mm. and to be able to take the steps to make it happen right so it's the most endearing thing I remember about her my mom's alive she's 92 she wow. thinks that I tell wow. the story too many times and she's also my mentor in business she was the mm. first national Mary Kay director with pink Cadillac in northern like in Canada wow um, and wow. so she had saw it on 60 minutes so she was friends with Mary Kay Ash before she passed and so it's kind of, it kind of wraps up kind of who I am. I love your story uh, about your company, about women producing your product, by the way. In our company, 78% of the staff and the leadership is women. I think there's some direct influences there from Lillian in growing up the way I did. That's really great. Robert? Mine is less endearing. Um, <laughs> as a child, I think I was seven or eight years old and I snuck out of my bed at night and peeked over to watch what my parents were watching. And it was the original Hitchcock Psycho. <laughs> and there's one TV in the entire house. It's an entire, you know, it takes up half the room type thing. So I'm just watching a screen to watch a screen. And I saw the shower scene. It freaked me. Well, it, to watch it today, you're like, they don't show anything, right? It's not much. It's just chocolate sauce on a wall, right? But like when I saw that and then I fill in the blanks and I just sort of zombied back to my room and didn't watch TV for a few years after that. But, but to this day, I, I just turned 50, but to this day, and I was joking with a, a friend about the, who does the same thing, but if I'm at a friend's house or a stranger's house and I go to the washroom and the shower curtain is closed, <laughs> I peek behind every without fail. I make sure I make sure that's empty. So if you're one of Rob's friends, make sure the bathroom's clean before he comes out. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm going to follow up with you, Rob, because my childhood memory is a little on the macabre side too. When I was eight or nine years old, I saw a man get electrocuted. Oh. And, and so what had happened was he was driving his Volkswagen Beetle down the street and this electrical wire fell right on top of his Volkswagen and it started spurting orange sparks. And the poor guy panicked. He was fine, but he panicked and he opened the car door. And as soon as he put his foot on the ground, it completed the circuit and just zapped him. 
Mm. And it made an impression on me. I don't like anything that's electric. That's why I'm so happy that we're all going to a unified uh, USB adapter. (laughs) But um, it just seems safer to me. But for years, I could go back and look at the street and I could see this poor man's footprint in the oh, asphalt where he had stepped down so um, okay so so that was good so so I, I told you this was going to be the fun okay, part of the so, program yeah. right so i want to hear what samaya has to say <laughs> mine is a little happier i can just say i remember what really sticks with me to this day and what i try to give my son the same thing is i have a lot of siblings so my parents would take turns to send two of us each because it's too expensive so we used to go back home to tunisia with uh to visit family and I have a twin sister who lives there we didn't grow up together so I used to go every year every summer and just really now that I look back and you know memories is the culture is so rich and the food and everything that smells like jasmine or grilled food reminds me of my grandmother and grandparents and good times we had every summer so my son is getting sent this year to Tunisia for a month by himself and spend the same thing and you know getting stopped in the street by lambs and sheep and maybe a camel or whatever and just culturally make him richer which is so Mm. important so that stays with me um, the rest of my life that's lovely so now we are coming to the end of the show unfortunately because this has been really fun this has been a great group and I'm going to go through everybody's websites one more time and how to find them so our guest was Michael Serenzi founder of Stratagem Group and a Hollywood film producer he's in Toronto his website is stratagemgroup.ca s-t-r-a-t-a-g-e-m group.ca call him up if you want to make a movie in Canada yeah (laughs) talk to him (laughs) and um, thanks Richard (laughs) (laughs) And and then we had Rob Imbo with Adapt Agritech, A-D-A-P-T dot A-G. He's really helping change the food growing industry, which is very cool. He's way looking towards the future. And we always like to say this show is about innovation and what's going on in the future. And it's really interesting. And then we had some. And then the question is, is how tall a mushroom can he grow? The question is, mm. will people buy his truffles? Because that's where he's going to make his money. Right? There you go. Um, <laughs> Get and a then, container of mushrooms for your backyard. Yeah. And then we had <laughs> Somalia Uzladi and Hilda Bergman with Drip and Drop. Their website is D-R-I-P-P-A-N-D-D-R-O-P-P.com. And what an innovative idea to keep your baby covered up in a warm cozy thing when they're in their stroller or car seat but still be able to see them through a window so i just think this is gonna sell like protect your baby protect your baby keep your baby warm and dry yeah you can't beat that so i guess it's time for us to wrap up thank you everybody for listening we'll be back next week with another passage to profit episode and i want to thank our producer noah fleischman our production coordinator alicia morrissey and our syndication manager mark wilson find us on podcasts everywhere if you missed part of the show passage to profit the road to entrepreneurship 